So you guys are stuck here now. Uh, the doors are closed to kids. Um, so you can't go. Um, so there you go. And uh, it, is, it is beautiful to be here. And I've loved spending time here in this church, in this campus. And I'm really looking forward to Revival City Church. You know, one of the things that goes through my head, Pastor Gary, when we sing about traditions and getting rid of all my tradition and everything like that, I always think of like an old Anglican church. Now, Sarah's dad is an Anglican priest, a high Anglican priest, and it's very traditional, you know, walks through and, and splashes you with stuff and, and you know, all of, all of the Anglican stuff. And, you know, we have a tendency of looking down on that as Pentecostals because, you know, we, we've got the real revelation. Um, <laughs> but the reality is, you know, those traditions have been built up over millennia um, but it's not so much speaking about those when I think about it. It's more about my own um, routines and structures and systems that I've put in place to make myself feel comfortable about where I am in life. You know, when I walk in at home, I hang my keys in the exact same place every single night because I'm comfortable. I know where they are. I know where to find them. It's a safe place for me. But what this shaking off of tradition is... You know, if Sarah came to me, and Sarah knows I'm a man of routine, I don't like changing some of those things, and she thinks, says, I think it's better if you put your keys over here. The immediate thing for me to do is to rise up and go, nah, no, I like where I hang my keys. It's comfortable and it's safe. And she says, no, you know, I really think that this is a better place. You know, that's, for me, the traditions that I have to shake off in my own life. They're the things that will hold me back. See, yesterday Sarah bought me this jacket. And um, it was beautiful. It was a nice Levi's jacket. It was a black jacket. And the reality is, you know, the clothes that I used to wear 10, 15, 20 years ago don't fit me anymore. Um, you know, God's been good to me and uh, I've fed of the bounty of the earth and uh, I've grown and I've become a different person. And I don't fit into the clothes that I used to fit in as a 20-year-old. So what that is is these clothes that become, if we don't shed them off, if we don't take them off over time, they become the thing that was good for us at the time becomes the thing that holds us back and constricts us and, and holds us back. And so Sarah bought me this jacket in faith and it was about three times too big. And I'm believing that's a, that's the a message of the Holy Ghost to us today is that the jacket may seem too big, but what it does is it gives us room for growth. It gives us room to move. It gives us room to grow. And I'm talking spiritually, not physically, uh, hopefully, too much more. But that's not my message, Pastor Gary. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I want to uh, read today from the book of Matthew, chapter 25. Now, Matthew, chapter 25, Jesus is, um, he's been into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. We've had the triumphal entry. He's gone and uh, run amok in the temple and thrown the tables around and and um, turned things over. So in terms of where we're at, this is kind of really at the pointy end of Jesus' ministry. And what Matthew 25 does is it sits in uh, what we call the Olivet Discourse. It's a two or three chapters of the book of Matthew where Jesus just sits down on the Mount of Olives and he begins to teach his disciples. And he begins to teach them about the end times. We see the parable of the foolish, vir- the wise and the foolish virgins in there and it's a bit about uh, a judgment day and it's a bit about the tribulation but right there in the middle of it in chapter uh, 25 in verse 14 Jesus tells this story or parable and it goes like this for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them 
And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And so he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents saying, Lord, you've delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents beside them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed, and I was afraid, and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, here you are, have what is yours. But his Lord said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers And at my coming, I would have at least received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, this This is a parable that really sits quite heavy with me. Um, Jesus told a lot of parables in his time. In fact, about a third of his teaching was done as parables. A parable is is a spiritual story with a, a heavenly meaning. And we know the parable well. It's something that we've probably all, all read quite well. But in every parable, we have the opportunity to read it and to us to be able to say, who is God in this parable and who am I? You know, one of the tendencies that we have as humans is to be able to always make ourselves the hero in the story. But the challenge for us is always to look at it and say, who is God and who am I? In this story, I believe that the master is Jesus, the master is God, and I am the servants. Uh, You know, we are the servants. Humanity is the servants. And the talent that is given is the gift of life. And it comes to us all that we are given this gift of life. We are given this gift of uh, our own personality, uh, uh, who we are as a person. And Jesus gives us this as the master gives a servant talents. And, he's, and he gives it to us to be able to invest, to grow, to be able to bear fruit and to make more of it what he's given us so that when he comes back on that day, we will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And the question that I always ask myself, am I living my life in such a way that on that day I will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, my, um, my grandpa passed away recently. He was 98 years old and um, he, lived a full, he lived a long life and he lived a full life. You know, that generation of people, 98 years old, he was, 
He was one of those World War II veterans. He literally fought for his country. He fought for not only uh, he grew up in England, in, in, in the United Kingdom, not only for his country, but literally fought against evil. I mean, that's an amazing thing when you look at what was done during World War II. My grandpa's a man that in the 50s uh, decided to move his family and his wife and move them across the ocean to Australia. My grandpa and my grandma together, uh, they counseled so many people over their lifetime and helped them in their journey. You know, I still get stories today where people will come up to me and they go, oh, you're Stella and Ian's grandson. Oh, you won't know what they did for me, but they saved our marriage. Through their counselling and through their help, there are so many people that have been affected by their life over the time that I just can't even count. You know, the reality is my, my dad is a pastor, his son and my brother is a pastor, and I'm a pastor. You know, we stand here today because of all of the great things that my grandfather did. You know, it's not about my grandfather being a great man. He was a great man. But it's about having taken what he was given and living it in such a way that I know that on his day, when he finally breathed his last and entered into the arms of his Saviour, that I know that he heard those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, it's not enough to take what we've been given and to hide it away. It's not enough through pride or hurt or or unforgiveness or bitterness to be able to hide the talents that we've been given. You know, I think about all of the people that have gone before us. You know, my grandparents, my grandparents were great for me and so many people, but this church has a legacy as well. This church has 40 years of prayer and fasting and interceding that's gone before it. And so often we stand here today thinking that we're awesome and we've got everything together. But the reality is I'm not tall because I am tall. I'm tall because I stand on the shoulder of giants. Come on, let's give God a hand this morning. Yeah, this passage of this, this, if we look in Hebrews chapter 12, It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. This cloud of witnesses comes, this scripture comes directly after Hebrews chapter 11, which is our our hall hall of heroes, our hall of faith. We've got Uh, Moses, we've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, we've got uh, uh, Joseph, we've got Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Simon, uh, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel and all the prophets. They're all listed in Hebrews chapter 11. And what Hebrews chapter 12 tells us is that these men and women have now gone before us and they're in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father, sitting in heaven, but they're cheering us on as that baton has been passed to us. There are people that have gone before us in this church, in Infused Church, in Modbury, uh, in LifePoint Church, here, and they've prayed, and they've sowed, and they've invested financially, and they're no longer with us. But I know that they're up in heaven, and they're cheering us on, and that baton has been passed to us as we run our life and as we run our race. They stewarded their talents, 
and they receive their reward and now that baton falls to us and the challenge is given, how am I living my life? How am I serving my master? How am I loving my family? How am I making disciples? The challenge is to take everything that we've been given, our past experiences, our physical hurts, our our possessions, and to use them for the master. You see, on that day when we breathe our last or... You know, hopefully Jesus comes back. I think he's going to come back pretty soon, Pastor Gary. Things are pretty crazy. But on that day where we stand before our Creator, our wealth won't mean a thing. Your beautiful shiny boat won't come with you. Your multiple houses can't come with you. But on that day, all of those things will fall apart and fall away and the measuring stick will be how did you live your life According to your Creator's purposes, how did you fulfill the? Your, how did your life fulfill the plan of God for the earth? Am I living my life now so that on that day I will hear, "Well done, good and faithful servant." Today, I want to look at five ways to steward your gift well, and the first of those. Is urgency. In verse chapter sixteen, it says about the servant, the servant who had received the five talents. He says, "Then he who had received five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents." Yeah, there was a sense of urgency on this servant. He didn't take the time to stop and to think and to plan and to strategize. The reality is the master already knew his ability and he knew what to do with what he was given, and he just got up and he did it. You know, I remember when I bought my first car. My first car was an EA Falcon, which if you know anything about cars, is probably one of the worst cars you could ever buy. Um, it was a lemon. But I worked hard, I put away my money and I saved up $5,000. And I remember going to the bank, I'd found the car and I went to the bank and I pulled out $5,000 cash. Um, it's the most amount of money that I've ever held. I mean, now we do everything wireless tap your phone, uh, EFT, whatever it is. But I remember walking around as a a 17, 18-year-old kid with $5,000 cash in an envelope. You know, there is a sense of urgency in what I'm doing. It's kind of like just tucked in here and then then I'm just sort of shuffling and I'm walking. You know, I'd look suspicious, but I'm doing everything I can to make sure that I'm not mugged, that I'm not robbed. You know, I'm doing everything that I can to get to where I need to be to give that $5,000 cash over. Uh, I don't want to be the guy that lost $5,000 cash. Um, I'd like to be the guy that found it. Um, that would be nice. You know, there was no, there wasn't waiting around. I didn't go and uh, sit down at the cafe and just leave an envelope full of money lying on the table. I didn't just uh, leave what I had and leave that money lying around. I was very deliberate. I was very intentional because I knew that what I had had great value and it had a purpose attached to it. There was no waiting around. There was no dreaming. There's no scheming. You know, for us so often in our lives, we can lose that sense of urgency. It's easy for us to get lost in uh, the reality of entertainment and sitting down and watching TV and putting off. I do it all the time. Um, Sarah did all the clothes washing yesterday and I said, I'll help you. And she goes, 
no, if you wanted to do it, you could have done it earlier. I'm like, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry I was watching uh, season three. Of, no, I wasn't. But we, we lose that sense of urgency in our life. We also sometimes, because of hurt and because of, of what's happened to us, you know, we've stepped out in the past, we begin to retreat and, and to step back and say someone else will step up. But the reality is we live life sometimes like the master isn't returning, but the reality is we know that no one knows the hour, no one knows the day when Christ will return, and no one knows the day that you may end up with the Father himself. There is no tomorrow. The time is now. We can't let those things that God's given us sit dormant and sit idle. So often we like that third servant and we take the gift that was given and we sit it down and we bury it in the ground and we go off and live our life like it doesn't even matter. You know, sometimes we live in deliberate sin and we outwork and we walk in addictions in deliberate things that we're doing, leaving the gift that we've been given buried in the ground. You know, today is the day to leave those things behind. Today is the day to bury those things and pick up the gift that you've been given. It's time to move on from that sin. No one knows the day. No one knows the hour. And no one knows when that will be. Five ways to steward your gift well. First is urgency. Second is resilience. You know, this king went away for a long time. We know he went away for a long time because it says he went away for a long time. Um, <laughs> thank you, Matthew, for being very descriptive. You know, um, I grew up in a little town called Sejuna, and it's, it's about an eight or nine hour drive to Sejuna. And, and I'd, I'd love the drive. I love that drive back to see my parents for about an hour and a half um, uh, after... We've left Port Wakefield and you get on that road to Port Augusta and even when you're turning to go to the west coast, there is literally nothing there. There is nothing. It's a dead straight road. And the thing is you get to about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I know you've probably experienced this and you're driving and the sun's starting to go down and it's coming in through the windscreen and it's nice and warm and you're just driving. There's nothing going on and you're a little bit drowsy. You get a little bit tired. You know... That's when the resilience in a long-distance drive kicks in. That's when I've already listened to all of my pre-planned podcasts. I've listened to my favourite worship playlist a hundred times. I've done everything. And that's when you start to get a little bit creative. I don't know what you do on a long-distance drive, but you know, I'll start winding the window down. I might stick my head out a little bit, you know, try to keep me awake, try to keep me refreshed. You know, I'll start uh, counting the mileage on the little green triangles and, and try to work out in my head how long am I going to take. My math normally isn't very good, um, so that keeps me awake. You know, you think about all the creative ways that you go to in, into keeping awake and that's what we do on a long-distance journey. But when we know that Christ is going to be coming back and it could be a long time or it could be a short time, but we've got to have the resilience. Yeah. The temptation in life is to settle. You know, so often for me... When I'm doing those long-distance drives and the sun gets down on the windscreen and I'm starting to get a little bit sleepy and starting to get a little bit dozy, it's so easy, and I've done this a couple of times, but it's a, such a trap, is to pull over and have a little nap. Uh, just pull over under a tree somewhere and have a little nap. I love a little nap. Um, <laughs> an afternoon nap is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. And I'll probably have one today, Pastor Gary. Um, 
You know, you have an afternoon nap, but the reality is you wake up and you feel groggy, you feel tired, and you think, oh, I can't go on anymore. It just makes things so much worse. And the temptation in life is to settle, it's to give up, it's to stop, just to say this is enough, it's to procrastinate. But the reality is we've got to keep moving forward. It doesn't matter uh, what comes our way. We've got to be able to have the grit and the determination that says, I'm going to keep taking the next step. I'm going to keep moving forward one step at a time. You know, how often do we hear that call of God that says, come away with me, spend some time with me, spend some time in my presence. But we just say, ah, we'll do that tomorrow. And we're just going to park ourselves here. But the reality is we need to keep taking one step, one step, one step, no matter how hard it is, something comes against you, I'm just going to take one step. I feel let down, I feel deflated, but I'm still going to get up, I'm going to take one step. You know, someone insults me, someone forgets my birthday, someone uh, takes me for granted, you know what, I'm still going to take one step in the call of God that He has for my life. There's times in our lives when it's really tough. Our emotions can get on top of us. There are times when I haven't felt like getting out of bed. But I know that if I'm going to live my life according to the Creator's purpose, I need to get out of bed, put my feet on the ground, and just take that next step. Take that next step. Choose to love. Choose to show mercy. Choose to show grace. Choose to live in peace. Choose to put the drama to one side. I'm just going to keep taking one step at a time. Five keys to living, uh, to stewarding your gift well, urgency, resilience, and thirdly, humility. It says, he who had received five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. You know, the thing that it doesn't say is that the three servants all went around and started comparing. You know, the guy with the five talents said, well, you know, you must be not as good as me because you only got two talents. Or the guy with one talent said, well, I don't know why I didn't get five. Look at this guy out here rolling around with his five talents. Who does he think he is with his five talents? What a guy. I don't like him. There was no comparison. You know, comparison is the killer of faith. Because what we do is we sit here and we compare our life and we compare our family, we compare our walk, we compare our job with the person that's on the next you know, on our Instagram screen or the person that we're sitting next to or the person that you feel like has got it all together when the reality is that none of us have it all together. We all have a different path to walk. We all have a different journey to take. You know, if you come to my house for dinner, we probably, you'll you'll walk in, you'll see there'll be no toys on the ground, the floors will be cleaned, the benches will be cleaned, um, the house will be spotless. And you walk in, and I know people do that, and they walk in and they think, whoa, these guys, that's because they've got girls, their house isn't messy. You know, it's because uh, they're clean freaks. You know, they just keep their house clean all the time. You know, uh, they're lucky. They're blessed to live in such a clean house. You know, the reality is that you don't see all the hard work and the days of cleaning that went into preparation before you came. You know, we work hard to keep our house clean. And you can look at it and, and, and think, oh, they're blessed, they're lucky. But the reality is we work hard at that. You can take a look at someone's life and take a look at that snapshot that they've posted on Instagram. 
You can take a look at that, that, that throwaway comment that they said when you were having coffee with them and you can look at them and go, oh, their life's easy. They've got it. They've got it well. They're blessed. But what we don't see is everything else that goes into behind the scenes, all the cooking, all the cleaning, all the stress and the anxiety. We can't compare our lives with someone else's. We can't think that they've got it better. We can't think that I wish I was walking in their shoes because God has given us what he's given us. And he's chosen to give it to you because he gave it to you according to your own ability. God doesn't ask you to bring fruit in my life. God doesn't ask you to bring fruit in your neighbor's life. God asks you to bring fruit in your life. It's not about the size of the talent, but it's about how you use it. The master holds the servant accountable for what he was given. Five ways to steward your gift well, urgency, resilience, humility, and fourthly, relationship. Jesus says in Luke 15 verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. The reality is that everything that you need to steward your gift well is found in Christ. Our job is to remain in him. You know, we've got a, an amazing fridge at home. It's a great fridge. It does its job very well. It keeps everything cool on one side and on the other side it keeps everything frozen. It's amazing. You know, the, the thing about my fridge though is that if I unplug it and take it away from the PowerPoint, it doesn't do its job well at all. The milk goes off, the butter goes soft, the fruit gets rotten, the eggs get rotten. The fridge is actually no good unless it's plugged in to the power source that it needs to keep everything cool. We're like that in life. So often we think we can go around, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed, I'm called, I'm chosen, and we say these things over our lives. We, we, we work hard at being diligent and we work hard at doing everything practically right that we need to do, but the reality is it all means nothing unless you're connected to the source. It all means nothing unless we're willing to spend time in the presence of God. You see, words don't mean anything unless they're under the anointing. Your actions are like a noisy gong unless they're done in a place of love. You need to be able to be planted in the vine and in Jesus because in Him is life and everything that you need. Our worship, our, 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 our expression of faith, coming to church uh, disciplining our kids, being a good employee, whatever it is that we need to do in life, it's all nothing unless it's done from a place of God's anointing and His presence. Yeah. Jesus says, I am the vine. Remain in me. That may look different for everyone, but what, it, what I do know is that you need to make time to spend time in His presence, yeah, so to remain in Him. You know, a fridge can't cool things down by itself. It looks like a fridge. It's got everything that it needs. It's got a motor. It's got the, the, the gas that it needs. It's got the little digital display that tells you what the temperature is. Uh, it's got everything that it needs. But it will achieve nothing unless it's plugged in to the source. We need to be plugged in to Jesus. When I spend time with the Father, when I'm in relationship with Him, 
the more I pray, the more my will becomes aligned to his will. The more my character becomes aligned with his character. You know, I'm someone that I'm like a sponge. If I'm around someone with a different accent, I'll pick it up straight away. We've got these friends, Matt and Nikki, they live in, in Brisbane and, and she's English, right? She's from um, the south of England. And whenever I'm around her, all of a sudden I start drinking a lot more tea. <laughs> I start talking with a bit of an accent. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an absorber. I'm a langu- I'm a, if you want to do it for fun, bring an American around and just see what I do. You know, I'm someone who absorbs <laughs> accents. And you'll look at me going, you're silly, you're not an American, you're not English. It's just something I do. Um, you know, I'll, and I have to, Sarah will just nudge me and say, just stop, you know. You just, <laughs> you, hello, can I have a cup of tea? Yeah, you, you feel, you sound silly. Stop doing it, you know. It's just who I am. The more I'm around someone with a different accent, the more I absorb who they are and start letting their language overtake my language. It's just a weird little quirk of mine. But that's how we are in God's presence. The more time we spend in God, the more time we pick up His characteristics. The more time I spend in God, the more loving I'll be. The more time I spend with God, the more grace I'll have. The more time I spend with God, the more mercy I'll have. We need to spend time in the presence of God to steward our gift well. We need relationship. And if the worship team could come, that would be great. Five ways to steward your gift well. Urgency, resilience, humility relationship and lastly faith verse 24 says then he who had received the one talent came and said lord i knew you to be a hard man reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered and i was afraid the greatest enemy of stewarding our life well is fear fear of failure what will happen if it doesn't work out What will happen if I take that step and it doesn't work out? What if I make that financial decision? What if I speak to that person? What if I give that word of knowledge or that that word of wisdom? What if I feel like God is telling me to pray for the sick but nothing happens? Fear of failure is something that will stop us from stewarding our gift well. And the other fear is the fear of man. You know, The fear of what will they say? I'm going to look like a fool. I'm going to look like an idiot. You know, what are people going to say? How are people going to talk about me? Fear is the number one thing that will stop us from stewarding our gift well. You know, uh, I don't know who said it in the book of Exodus. I think that was you, Jane, this morning. But Moses, God tells Moses. But then um, God tells Joshua in chapter 1, verse 8. And he says it three times over him. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. For the Lord, your God, is with you. He will be with you wherever you will go. You know, I can imagine Joshua, and he's got this ragtag group of uh, Hebrews that have come out of slavery. They've walked around in a desert for 40 years, and they've got to go and they've got to do this uh, military campaign that the greatest of militaries might not even be able to achieve. And he's saying, how can I do it? How is this going to happen? In the natural, trying to work out battle plans and strategies and who's my best troops and how is this going to happen? And God comes to him and says, Do not be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you and I will be with you wherever you go. 
You know, God lays things on our heart and He, and he says to us to do something or to, to believe for something. And we say, how can we do it? How is this going to work out? And in the physical, we start plotting and planning and trying to play that game of chess with things and bring everything into alignment. If I move this over here and if I do this. But God is saying, don't be afraid. The battle is mine. I go before you. So often we live in that fear of what will happen. And I believe there are people today, and, and even for me, then God's placed dreams and plans in our heart and we've let them sit dormant. We've let them sit and buried them in the ground because I've tried to scheme and I've tried to work out what will happen, but I can't see it happening, so I'm not going to act on it. You know, plans for our family. Plans for our children. God's given you a vision for your children that they will uh, be walking with Him, that they'll be in relationship with you, that they'll be successful and happy. And we think, I can't see how that is going to happen. God gives us plans for our career. He gives us desires for things that we want to do in life. And we think, how is that going to happen? And the reality is, God is saying, don't be afraid, for I am with you. I will be your strength. I will be your courage and I will be with you wherever you go. It's all about taking that step. It's all about taking that next step. What is it that God's got planned for you to do? Whatever it is, today is the day to take your next step. Maybe it's a step towards relationship with your children. Maybe it's a step towards your your, your career and something I need to do. Maybe God's placed a word on your heart. He's given you a, a spiritual gift and He's asking you to walk in your calling. Well, today, take your first step. I love that we had a moment, Pastor Gary, to go and encourage people. And, you know, when we give a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge, sometimes it's just one thing that pops in, in your head. And it's not until you take that first step that God starts to download the rest over us. Today is the day to begin to take your next step. And as you take your next step, say to yourself, greater is He who is in me than he who is in the world. If my God is for me, then who can be against me? You are my strength and my strong tower. It's to you that I will run. You go before me and the battle is yours. The reality is that when you take one step, it leads to another step. It leads to another step. And you get over here and you're walking in your calling and you're walking in, in, in your destiny and the things of God have come to pass over your life. And you think, how did that happen? It happened by taking a step. Just taking a step. Taking the next step. Taking the next step. Taking the next step. For you in your life, what is it that God has been speaking to you about? What is it that's been your challenge? What is it that's been your struggle? God is telling you today to take your next step. For Infused Church as a church and Life Point as we move to become Revival City Church, you know, sometimes things aren't all planned out. They're not mapped out, but God is asking us to take our next step. What's our next step? What's our next step? What's your next step today? Won't we stand this morning together? in the presence of God. You know, I believe it's time for us to begin to stir our faith again. It's time to believe again.
It's time to dig wells again, wells of faith for you in your life and for your family, but for this church as well. Let's begin to dig those wells again. It's time for God to speak to us and the, 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 the dreams and desires and things that have been laid in your heart in the past. It's time to take another step. You may have left them to one side and nothing's happened, but it's time to take another step. It's time to take another step. So this morning, as the guys lead us in worship, just for a moment, I want to encourage you, as we worship and lift our hands to the King of Kings, what is it that God is speaking to you about? What is it that God is saying? What is your next step? What is it that you need to do so that on that day you'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you, Julie.